the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hi, I'm Eric Galindo, Training Director for the FSI Training School. For individuals and businesses, we offer certification courses in CPR and first aid through the American Heart Association and also the Vehicle Safety Inspector course for the Texas Department of Public Safety. Courses are available every week for your convenience. Call me, Eric, at 210-314-2615. That's 210-314-2615. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Soapy will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Joining us tonight for the Bible Live, the quiz show. We've got 90 minutes to ask you some questions and get you to call in and respond on this beautiful, beautiful Easter evening, 2017. I hope you had a great, great Resurrection Sunday celebrating and 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 thinking and meditating on the importance uh, of, on the beauty and the power of God's redemptive plan. Who would have ever thunk it? Who would have ever put together this story? <laughs> yeah, that's sometimes what I, I I imagine. You know, some people say, "Oh, the Bible isn't uh, true." You know, it's just, just somebody just made up this whole thing. And I'm telling you the truth. I don't think anybody would have made it up like this. This is it's just astounding what God did. This is just uh, the, the the Redeemer, the Savior, the the Creator. Uh, becoming vulnerable himself and, and humbling himself and allowing himself to be uh, spat upon and, and humiliated and and, and killed, uh, and doing it all because of love, all because he had no dog in the fight in a way. I mean, he if he's God, he's God. Nothing could happen to him. Uh, but uh, he did that. He went to that cross for us. No one takes my life from me, he said. 
And that's something a lot of times people miss uh, when they're trying to be critical of the gospel or, or people say, well, God would God got someone else to take our place. That isn't like God. Well, he, this isn't God forcing this on someone. This is someone voluntarily, voluntarily taking our place, taking our punishment uh, willingly. No one takes my life from me, he says. I give it willingly. Don't you know I could call 10,000 angels and, and stop this process? Uh, I mean, it, it is just so astounding to me, the the beauty, the power. And then we've been focusing on it quite a bit in these last couple of uh, weeks because our reading schedule has us in the Gospel of John. As most of you know, if you've been listening to the Bible Live very long, uh, in our particular reading schedule, we uh, find out that uh, at Christmas time we're reading through the birth of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew. At uh, Resurrection Sunday, we're reading through the resurrection story from the Gospel of John. At uh, the National Day of Prayer, coming up here in just a couple of weeks, uh, we're reading from the the second chapter of Acts. Uh, we'll be into that section of uh, Scripture. Uh, reading about the, the church born out of a prayer meeting. And so uh, it, it's... Uh, our reading has turned out, it wasn't particularly intentional, but it has just turned out to be extremely uh, calendar sensitive to our American culture, our American calendar. So it's an added blessing, a blessing for which we did not ask in the beginning, but uh, nevertheless, it's turned out to be a very, very good thing. Well, we are in the Gospel of Matthew, and what um, is, as Matt, I'm sorry, Gospel of John, as John is in some ways, the more theological of the Gospels. Matthew, as uh, many of you will know by now, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, focuses on, it emphasizes. You see, the Gospels, I'm going to interrupt myself here. The Gospels are like a painting or a portrait. They're, they're not intended to be exactly a, a history, a detail-by-detail detail history, a moment-by-moment moment story. Uh, they are more like a portrait, a, a different painting that people have of an individual or a different a moment, a description of a moment uh, in, in, that, they, that they are witnesses to. And in the, in the first place, each one has his own perspective, his own emphasis, his own particular understanding of it, it, it what, what jumped out of the story and out of the life of Jesus, the Messiah, to them. And so, and the other thing is that they're not unbiased. They're not historians in that sense. They are. They are there to tell us uh, that you know you should check this Jesus out. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. So they're not. Uh, they're not there just say yeah. You might consider this. They're there to make the case that Jesus was indeed that promised and long-awaited Redeemer, Savior, Messiah. And uh, in fact, as John even says, that's the very reason. He wrote his gospel was so that you might believe the reader would believe and trust in Christ and begin uh, that, their own relationship with God uh, on into eternity. So we have Matthew. Uh, Matthew's perspective in particular uh, was uh, one of the disciples of Jesus. His perspective is uh, he presents Jesus as king of the Jews. In other words, he, he's writing from a Jewish perspective for the uh, the Hebrew people, and he m makes the case that uh, Jesus of Nazareth does indeed, he claimed to and he does indeed uh, satisfy all the requirements to be the long-awaited uh, promised Redeemer, Savior, Messiah that Israel had been promised, that, that God had promised long ago over 300 prophecies about the Messiah in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures. 
and over many, many centuries and generations, and uh, they're they're all there. They're all fulfilled in this man named Jesus, and uh, he he points it out he, uh, over and over again. Matthew makes that case that he is indeed uh, the king of Israel. And of course, his perspective of Israel is more than just the Jewish nation or the uh, the biological offspring and, and descendants of Abraham. His description of Israel, it goes well beyond just a given people group, whether it's DNA-based or just even cultural-based or history of tradition-based. His idea of Israel is that Israel, uh, the nation, the smaller people group that we, we follow their experiences through the Hebrew Scriptures in the Old Testament, that is a picture of the Israel, the people of God. Israel, those who have wrestled with God and won. Those, among uh, all of the human race, every race, every tribe, every people group, every language, the, there are those who long for God and seek God and desire Him. And and that, as it turns out, is the the... The, the little group of Israel in the Old Testament is a picture of the larger universal group of God's people, Israel. And so, uh, so uh, you know, Matthew points that out and clearly, and so, but he presents Jesus as that one now who is the king of Israel, the king of the people of God, the firstborn of the twiceborn. We, we understand that he is the prototype of the new creation, the, the race of the redeemed. Jesus earned the right to be our mediator by walking out a perfect life of faith and trust and obedience to the Father. Then he went to the cross on our behalf. See, if he hadn't stayed under the yoke of faith and trust and submission and total submission and dependence on the Father, he couldn't have been our mediator. He couldn't have been uh, a substitute for us as human beings because that is our existence. That is our role. And Jesus came to earth to carry out the perfect life, the perfect to fulfill the role perfectly of a human being, and that is to love and obey and trust in and and uh, totally and without reservation, uh, as an Apache I say that, <laughs> without reservation giving himself to the Father, trusting in the Father and obeying the Father, even to the cross, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, even humbled himself to death, even the death on the cross. And so that's that's Matthew. He's talking about Jesus, this Messiah, the King of Israel, the King of God, the people of God. And then Mark comes along and emphasizes the servanthood, the servant nature of Messiah. And we see him healing. We see him lifting up people. We see him helping people. We see him guiding people, discipling uh, his men and committing himself to them. We see Jesus, the servant, uh, modeling that as the, that is the uh, that is the. Mm, the primary one of the primary aspects and characteristics of the people of God. We're not proud and arrogant, and we don't lord it over people. We are gentle with our faith. We love people, and we give ourselves away uh, to others. Uh, we pour out our lives in benefit of others, loving others. That's the that's the gospel of Mark. Then Luke comes along. Now Luke is the only non-Jewish. Uh, writer of the Gospels and, and, and of the New Testament, I believe. It, we don't know exactly, we're not exactly sure about Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, but uh, uh, Luke is definitely a, a Greek. He's not uh, a Jewish person, but he's a physician. That's an, uh, an interesting uh, detail on this man's life. And we see Luke writing about Jesus, his particular focus, his perspective, his angle, if you want to put it that way, is Jesus the man. He emphasizes the man, the the, the human quality, that what it was for Jesus to walk out the existence of a human being. From the time he was a fertilized egg on Mary's on the wall of Mary's womb to the time he um, 
died on that cross, was buried. He walked through every role, every moment of a human being's existence until he died. And then, of course, by that time, it is finished, he said on the cross. He had earned the right to become now the firstborn of the twice-born. He was raised from the dead, as he said he would. Uh, come out of the grave. Uh, it was predicted in the Hebrew scriptures that you know the the Messiah would not, his body would not experience corruption in the grave. Uh, it's predicted in the Old Testament about the Messiah, and Jesus Himself predicted it to His followers and disciples. I'm going to is to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be put to death, and and then. But in three days, I will rise from the grave. And remember the images he he uh, the picture he painted, just as uh, Jonah was in the uh, the uh, belly of that great fish for three days and three nights. So I the the same. Uh, that's a picture of me. I'm going to be in the grave three days and be resurrected. So uh, he he said he was going to do it. He did it, and then he told him he did it. <laughs> so uh, uh, we, this is the picture we have in the Gospel of Luke, the the manhood, uh, emphasizing the humanity of Jesus. And then now we come to the Gospel of John. We've been in it now for these two weeks, and we're talking about Jesus, the Son of God. John uh, launches and lets us understand that uh, that Jesus was indeed the um, second person of the Godhead. We are taught throughout Scripture there that there are uh, distinct persons, three distinct persons. In in a sense, you might say three distinct gods. Each of them have all the attributes and all the characteristics of deity. They are co-equal. Not one lords it over the other. Not one is greater than another in that sense. But they are perfectly united. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, as we came to these not titles, these names, uh, Messiah himself is the one who gave us those particular titles and made those uh, made those the, the names that we use now in this era, this time in which we live, the time, what is what is called the, the time of the church age or the time of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he is the one that talked about the father, my father, and I'm, this, I'm the son of man, the son of God, and, and and talked about the comforter, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside. He he mentions all three with all the aspects of characteristics of personhood, and at the same time, each one of them with all the characteristics of deity. Now, why do we, you know, why aren't we polytheists then, or, or at least a triatheist? We believe three different gods. Why? Because they these three are so perfectly united, perfectly, and I mean that word technically, that absolutely perfectly united. They they exist in, in 100% perfect and total harmony and oneness in their character, uh, in their um, in their love for each other, in their intent and their purpose, the things they intend, they purpose to do in creation and other uh, things that we know about from Scripture, and in their actions. They are totally, absolutely united in perfect harmony with one another so that we can know them and truly, accurately know them as one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And yet we see we see um, relationship at the very heart, at the very core of the Godhead. Uh, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit of, of the of the Scriptures of the Bible. Uh, at the very core of the Godhead, there is there is relationship, there is uh, society, there there is um, 
there is social inter- interaction at the very core of the of the Godhead. And I mentioned this to you once before, I think maybe even last week. My daughter asked me one time, uh, not too long ago, actually, she, she's a thinker, this, young, this lady is. And then uh, she said, you know, Dad, I just realized something. God, in the scriptures, we're told that God is love, right? Uh, uh, one of the form, one of the basic fundamental characteristics and attributes of God himself, the God of the scripture, is that he is love. And I said, well, yes, yeah, Stacy, that's true. And the God, you know, the book of First John, the epistle of John, and other places, we're told clearly you know, God is love. Uh, and she says, well, before God created anything and anybody, and before he created the angels, before he created planet Earth and the human race, before he created anybody in the whole universe, uh, who did he love? <laughs> Good question. If that's a fundamental, basic, core characteristic of God himself, but he's totally and absolutely alone, uh, it, it it is kind of a begging the question, well, who did he love then? It, it, how, did, how did that aspect of his character? And we can't say, well, that's why he created us, because that would have created a need. In the in the deity that he needed us because he needed someone to love, and that's not the picture we come from Scripture as well. We understand now because of the the Trinity, this understanding that there is a plurality, there is there's a relationship at the very core of the Godhead. Uh, they're totally and absolutely you, uh, in love with one another. The only competition you see in the Godhead in the Scriptures is that how how they love one another and how they almost compete to see who can build up the other one the most. You know, this is my beloved son in whom I well pleased. And Jesus talking about the father and the greatness and the goodness of the father and the, oh, the comforter's got to come. You've just got to, I've got to go away so that the comforter, and he, what's the comforter going to do? Oh, he's going to glorify me. He's going to draw all men to me and to the, to the father and to the, it just had this, you have the, the Godhead, the father, the son, and the spirit, just this incredible oneness. Uh, so, so no, no, we're not polytheists. We are indeed monotheist from the word go, but it, it's it's with a twist. And who would have thought of that, folks? If we were just trying to invent a god, you know, make up one like the Greeks did and the Romans did, and then the Norse gods and all this mythology, mythology, you know, they build God in our own image. But who would have thought of this? This oneness, this 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 isn't an imaginary or dreamed up. Uh, C.S. Lewis once said that whoever could have made it up would have been greater than the truth. Uh, and uh, it just, it's, it's there for us to see and know. And not only that, philosophically and spiritually, rationally, logically, but God has stepped into time and space. And that's what the Gospel of John is all about. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same as in the, the same as in the beginning with God. All things are made by Him. Without anything, without Him was not anything made that was made. And in talking about the Word, this, the, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior was preexistent. He he lived. He's not like other human beings in that we are not preexistent spirits. We don't exist there and somewhere floating out there, and then somebody gives us a body. We we are part of the initial, the the initial creative event, Adam and Eve in the garden, with the DNA and, and the and the and the and the, uh, the the organs for for procreation and to build and grow and to grow new life and have children and so on. We're part of that initial creative act. We're not. Uh, you know, pre-existent spirits who kind of given a body. We are we come into being and come to exist through the miracle of of birth, 
and uh, we 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 become living spirits, living human beings that can know God. But Jesus was a pre-existent spirit, but he uh, voluntarily left that status, that state. He walked into the experience of a tiny little fertilized egg on the wall of Mary's womb. He became an embryo. He became, you know, he went through all the cycles in, in, of gestation and, and pregnancy. And, and then he was born, he be, a child, a toddler, a newborn, uh, just went through every phase as a human being and by faith understood who he was by age five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, in that era, he began to understand who he was. By age twelve, he had a firm grasp on the fact that that he was indeed that long-awaited, promised Messiah, and he stepped into that role by faith. Um, he understood it from the scriptures. He understood it from his mom and dad. They told him about his past. They told him about going down into Egypt. He began to compare his life with the scriptures, with the uh, with uh, the, the Hebrew scriptures, and he saw that wow. I am that one. He could see those 315 prophecies in the Old Testament. They paint a very, very clear picture of Messiah. They talk about, uh, you know, he's going to be a human being. For one, the very first prophecy in Genesis chapter three, he's going to be a human being. He's not going to be an animal. He's not going to be an extraterrestrial. He's not going to be an angel. He's going to be of the seed of of uh, Adam and Eve, of, of Eve, your seed, I will put enmity between your seed and the seed uh, of the um, of the serpent, of Satan, and he will destroy you. He's going to crush your head, Satan, but you'll wound his heel. And so that's the first little inkling about this in terms of spoken uh, prophecy and prediction about the Messiah and that uh, he would be wounded, but he would crush and defeat Satan and the works of Satan in bringing about the fall and in, in the, in the judgment falling on humanity. Jesus solved that problem by becoming our Redeemer, our Savior, our substitute, uh, our atonement, a, sub, a sacrificial substitutionary atonement. That is the message of the Hebrew Scriptures. And it's not only predictions that we have verbal, verbal predictions and verbal prophecies about the Messiah, there are also these uh, these uh, dramatized or almost theatrical prophecies that we see. For example, when Adam and Eve uh, fell into sin, they noticed and knew they became ashamed because they understood they were naked and, and they were vulnerable to each other in, and to others, and they became afraid of God. And you know, things happened. Sin brought about changes in the in the status in the experience of mankind in the Garden of Eve, Eden. And what happened? God took an animal, and Adam and Eve probably had to watch for the first time uh, the life of an animal bleed out onto the ground. And and they watched this animal killed, uh, sacrificed. They took in the, the skins of these animals were used to cover their nakedness and to cover their shame. And, and there you had this first kind of a dramatized presentation and prediction of the Redeemer and of the redemptive plan. And you see that all through with the tabernacle, with the temple. You see that so often dramatized uh, in, the, uh, in the Hebrew Scriptures. You remember uh, when the people of Israel were out in the wilderness and they got uh, bitten by these uh, poisonous snakes and uh, they created a, 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 an image of a snake that was held up and if people looked at it with faith, they were healed of the, of the snake bites. You know, what, what a picture, a, kind of a theatrical, dramatized picture of the redemptive plan, and and even Jesus referred as the Son of Man is as the snake or serpent was lifted up in the wilderness. So the Son of Man will have to be lifted up, and those who look to Him in faith will be saved, will be healed. So it's it's just a long, beautiful, beautiful, and powerful uh, 
the most beautiful drama, the most dr- beautiful uh, theater, and and yet it's true. Uh, the Creator Himself. Uh, we are we are twice bought. Once we belong to Him from creation, and now we belong to Him by redemption. He has purchased us. He bought us back from death, hell, and the grave, and judgment. And now we are part of the kingdom of His dear Son, uh, Jesus the Messiah. Well, that's I'm kind of getting all wrapped up in this. You know, this Easter kind of brings that out in us. We think of the big picture. We think of the beauty, the harmony, the the consistency of the biblical message. And uh, that's what we look at in the Gospel of John. John lays it out for us really clear. And I've got some questions for you. We've already got some people calling in. Let me ask you, if today, uh, being Easter Sunday, if you'd like to call in and talk a little bit about your own experience with Easter this year, what it means to you, what it, maybe there was a special significance, something special that happened in your life that you want to talk about and a, a special understanding, maybe some special insight, a new insight that you gained about God and about the Messiah, about Jesus. I'd sure love to hear from you tonight. We've, we've got another hour together, 340-9585, 340-9585. That's our phone number. You can call in and share with us an insight, a thought, or maybe even a question about God, about redemption, about Jesus, the Messiah, about the Scriptures. We're all about that. See you in just a Dr. bit. Dr. Stan Shelton, with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway, has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me, plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. Nature's Factor carpet cleaning expert, Shayla James. What makes Nature's Factor better than the older carpet cleaning process? Older systems saturate your carpet, leaving your space unusable, sometimes for up to a day because of their long dry times, plus leaving you with the risk of fungus and the dangerous chemicals left in your carpet. With Nature's Factor, our quick dry time makes your home or office space usable almost immediately, while our green solutions eliminate the possibility of fungus and are perfectly safe for your children and pets. Nature's Factor, carpet cleaning for the 21st century, 831-3535. Peace through planning. It's a beautiful thing. We're talking with Charlie Weisinger of Weisinger Law Firm. And, Charlie, 41% of baby boomers don't have a will in place. Charlie, your clients need to make sure their 20, 30-something-year-old children take advantage of your free consultation. Well, in my view, every person over the age of 18 needs a plan in place because as a legal adult, no one has any authority over them to handle their bank accounts or make medical decisions unless they give someone that authority, even when mom and dad are still paying the bills. And I can help put all those plans in place. People think, I don't have much, I don't own land and property, Uh, my will can wait. Actually, it's more important to have a plan in place because without a will, probate can be much more expensive and folks with smaller estates simply can't afford going through the probate process and property could be lost. So the answer is call attorney Charlie Weisinger of Weisinger Law Firm today and let Charlie help you achieve peace through planning. Charlie, what's your phone number? Phone number here in San Antonio is 210-308-0800. For Weisinger Law Firm, WeisingerLawFirm.com. Join Barry Bass every weekday morning for the KSLR Morning Ministries, including Through the Bible, Renewing Your Mind, Truth for Life, and Focus on the Family. Weekdays from 6 to 10 on AM 630 KSLR and KSLR.com.
Listening to the Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. During history's darkest hour, you were there are back indeed i got caught listening to and, and i'm 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 googling something here on uh the computers here thanks for joining us back here folks on the bible live the quiz show james i hope you'll call us back we'd love to hear from you you had a thought you had a question you had something that you wanted to uh share with us and we'd love to hear from you tonight three four zero ninety five eighty five we had james on just before we went to break and uh, wasn't able to hold through, but I hope he'll give us a call back and we'll get a chance to visit with him. You can call as well, like I said, 340-9585. Let me ask you some questions. Now, I may go back to, uh, tonight in the program and I may ask some questions that come from the opening chapters, the first nine chapters of the Gospel of John as well, uh, which we covered last week. But it, the, the Gospel of John is so critical and so important in answering a number of our questions. Let me ask you this. And which of the disciples... In John chapter 14, which one of the disciples asked Jesus to show them the Father? Show us the Father, he asked. Which one was it? Uh, Very interesting guy, this one. According to Jewish law, there was only to be one high priest at a time, an office that was held for life. Who were the two high priests that oversaw Jesus' trial, and why were there two high priests? This is a detail that uh, we would think, well, that must not be factual because there's only one high priest. Well, very interestingly, Luke, who is considered a first-class historian, picked up on that detail and didn't avoid it at all. He actually mentions the two high priests and tells us, and we get an understanding now, that there were actually two at this time, and we understand why there were. So if you know who were the two high priests that oversaw Jesus' trial and why were there two at this time instead of one, you know, the the idea that uh, there is only one high priest at a time and he serves for a lifetime. Let's go and visit with, uh, I forgot, it's, it's Brad. I'm sorry, Brad. I got confused there. And good to hear from you this evening. Thanks for joining us. Good, good to be on the show. Thanks. Well, I'm glad you're there. What what kind of Easter have you had? What kind of celebration, Resurrection Sunday? It Some has been a blessing. We uh, had four services at our church. We go to Northeast Bible Church in oh, Garden Ridge. We live in church, so it's literally just a shot straight up, acro- or straight across uh, I-35 up 3009, and then we take a, a left there onto uh, Nacogdoches. I know it will. And uh, it's a beautiful church. We have uh, deer, wild deer all over Garden Ridge, and so many, many times... You're arriving at church or leaving church, and the deer were already out there grazing and things like that. But it was a beautiful service, and uh, we had uh, four services today. So I pray that uh, many people in the community were reached. And, you know, there's always the folks who seem to only wander into churches at Christmas and Easter, and I just pray that they were blessed and uh, left, you know, with a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. You bet, Brad. I pray with you there. I join. Amen to that for sure. Well, what was yeah. it about? Was it all about resurrection? And was it, what, what did your pastor speak about? What did your teachers talk about today? 
Well, it was our pastor, uh, surprisingly enough, uh, on Easter, the, a lot of Sundays, uh, the pastor will punt and let one of the other ministers do it. But on Easter, of course, the top guy is there. <laughs> and he just talked about the possibility uh, that, that uh, Jesus' death on the cross, the atonement, uh, it just makes possible uh, eternal life, and it makes possible cleansing and forgiveness of sins and everything. So we've everything, been talking. It? it changes the entire yeah. scope. Uh, well, you know, without the Lord, we have sin. We are we have sin, and we want to seclude ourselves the way Adam and Eve wanted to seclude themselves away from God. Mm-hmm. So, sin and seclusion versus uh, restoration and redemption, and 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 that's made possible by the cross, by blood, Jesus on the cross. Jesus taken the sins of the world. A man who was pure and holy and had no sin, and he took on our sin. Mm. So that when the Lord, when the, God looks at us, He doesn't see mm. us; He sees His Son, His holy, pure, spotless, mm. flawless, sinless Son. And that's a, just a what a what an amazing, incredible gift. Can't now, and praise we, it and enough. We can meditate on that every day of the year. Continue, and we should. We should. But it is such a special time when we get. I mean, as the as the Earth turned on its axis around the Sun today. Uh, and and night turned to day and all day long. Just think millions of people all around planet Earth from every tribe, every nation, every language group, every culture, every society. Uh, it, it is David's prayers in the Old Testament. Let every nation praise. His prayers have been answered. In the, and we're living to see it, Brad. We get, we're seeing the time when... The, the people of God uh, come from every tribe, every nation, every land. Every tribe, it's every so tongue. You know, and one day every every knee will bow, and the people even that have rejected and denied, they will have to say, they will have to confess, Jesus is Lord. Now, they will have rejected him, uh, but th- 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 they're going to finally be, you know, absolute convinced, confirmed believers because they're going to have the evidence of his greatness and his glory right in front of them. Mm-mm-mm. And I do. My wife kind of brought this out. We had our, our little family get together, and we, we, we love to celebrate as a family, as the children, the grandchildren. And we're talking about God and the plan of redemption. And, and, uh, and we, we get to teach. Uh, to uh, This morning we had about 1,700 basic trainees out at Lackland, young, men, young American. Oh, women. God bless you for doing that. And yes, get, sir. We get a chance to teach them for all the time of basic training. And, we talked, of course, about it Resurrection Sunday and Easter in our lessons today, and um, we, we, she was emphasizing the fact that, you know, it, I, I don't understand quite why people would fight against the gospel and the understanding of the gospel unless they just don't understand it entirely, because if it is if it is true, which we believe it is, and, and Paul himself, well, if he didn't rise from the dead, we are of all people most miserable. So it has to be Amen. true yeah. to be. But but if it is true, it's the greatest news we could ever, ever receive. It, it, all of our longings as human beings are fulfilled. What we desire, eternal life, immortality, goodness and righteousness and justice reign and, and good does win out in the end. Who Who is against that? And that is... That's How could anybody reject guarantees. it? Yeah. A sacrificial love, a perfect love, yeah. a love that's, you know, as it says in the word, that it's convinced that nothing, not neither depth nor height nor width. God's love is just, uh, we're, if God's grace is an uh, ocean, then we're all drowning, and I'm uh, grateful to have that much grace. And we can breathe that underwater, much mercy. thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me, uh, 
I know you might have something else on your mind, but I'm wondering if you might be able to clear up one of our questions tonight from the Gospel of John. Would you be willing to try? I will give it a shot, okay. and I think the the high priest, the only one that I can readily recall, is is Caiaphas, uh-huh. right? Yes, you're exactly and, right. But you said that, uh, throughout the throughout the history of Judaism, they had only one high priest, and he served for his entire life. Uh-huh. Uh, and like our, here, chief, our chief justice or our, you know Supreme Court justices. They exactly, life. yeah, lifetime tenure, and um, and 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 yet Dr. Luke makes it uh, clear that there were two high priests. So mm-hmm. um, one was Caiaphas' know. father-in-law. Does that uh, okay, you know? was that? Uh, Does that help you remember? It maybe. Uh, yeah, uh, no, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, unfortunately, it, it's A N N A S Annas. And, and, okay, I almost said Ananias, and I go, wait a minute, that'd be Ananias and Sapphira. So almost saying that. Annas. Well, that, he, Annas he and Caiaphas, his father-in-law. Ca- okay, no, Caiaphas so, was his son-in-law. Caiaphas oh, yeah, was yeah. younger. Annas was, was, was Caiaphas, his father-in-law. Yes, gotcha. and he was the legitimate you know, uh, high priest, but the Romans imposed Caiaphas because he was more willing to be manipulated and controlled. The Romans made Caiaphas the high priest. And he had to go, as, as Jacob, our, our, our Jewish authority here normally on the program, points out, uh, Rome had totally compromised the priesthood uh, in, in Jerusalem. And it was totally compromised. There was a lot of corruption at, in the priesthood uh, of the, uh, there in the temple in Jerusalem. And, of course, the, 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 um, uh, in, in the, uh, um, I'm trying to think of the governing body of the uh, Jews there. Um, it'll come to me in a moment. Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, thank you very much. That was also very compromised, and people bought their positions and so on. So they, there was a great deal of corruption, and, and um, they left off. And so you had these two. Uh, Caiaphas was the one appointed by Rome, and they, they, uh, he had to go, as, as Jacob points out, every day at the beginning of the uh, sunrise, the beginning of the day, he had to go to uh, Herod's quarters and be issued the, the uh, priestly garments the priestly clothing, and then in the evening he had to return those garments of authority to, to Herod's palace. It's very, very interesting detail there. Just You know, that reminds me of, uh, of people who have been to China, have uh, been to the mainland China, they tell me that, oh, well, they have churches in China. They have churches, but they're, they're, they're like the official government-approved church, or they call it the, the patriotic church. So all their leadership is appointed. They're, 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 they're beholden, or in, they're behooved. They, are, they're, they're, they serve at the leisure or at the sufferance of the authorities. Behooved. And, and so they had hooves? Uh, I'm just wondering. <laughs> beholden. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. They are beholden, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so they're, because they are beholden uh, to the Chinese authorities, it behooves them to do whatever uh, the political the, the party, the Communist Party, tells them. So they're they're not truly independent. And even uh, if you go back earlier in history, uh, in in Germany at the time of Hitler, yes. they had uh, official churches where they went so far as to say, well, we accept the authority of this man, Hitler. And they would impose the swastika over the cross at the front of the sanctuary. And then you had people in China and presumably as well in in Germany at that time that would meet privately and say, well, we're not going to go to that church that has the 
that uh, the leaders are all appointed and selected and groomed by the Communist Party or the Nazi Party or whatever. We're going to have church here in our home, and we're not going to be under the control, and we're going to be autonomous, and we're going to have our own Bible. We're going to have the Bible. We will, have, we will not have a Bible that's been edited or approved by the government. And so it's just odd how uh, dictators and strong men from ancient Rome onward to modern times have always tried to say, well, we've got to control this. We've got to exercise and put our own people in there. And what a humiliation it must have been for the priest to get up and, and go and basically like you would go and check out a book at the library, go to some window or whatever and say, yes, I'm here to get my priestly garments. <laughs> okay, well, you got to have them back by 5 or have them back by 9 o'clock. Yeah, exactly right. Well, that's and, uh, that's what Jacob is really uh made that case very clear to us he's brought in the historical record it it it, it just highlighted for me in a better way than ever before the world in which Jesus, the world in which Messiah carried out his ministry. It was not an and, ideal situation. It was a tyranny, an absolute tyranny. It and it was, corruption. you know, the, the corruption and the sin was so widespread. Uh, two things that struck me from the, the resurrection story. The priest uh, told, okay, the, the soldiers came and said, well, we, we heard the earthquake and the, the stone rolled away and an angel appeared and we, 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 were, we, we fainted, we passed out. Uh-huh. The priest the holy men said, well, here's what you're going to do. You're going to lie. I want you to lie, and you're going to tell them that you fell asleep on guard duty, and while you were asleep, Jesus' apostles, Jesus' disciples came and stole the body. body. Well, there's two things wrong with that. If you're ever in the military, as any of those young men at Lackland could tell you, if you're ever on guard duty, you do not fall asleep. That is a violation of your first order. You have to stay awake the whole time. If somebody comes up, catches you asleep on guard duty, you're going to lose a stripe or you're going to be demoted or, or well, you know, taken away from authority. In the Roman and, system, it was a death penalty for a Roman soldier for them to sleep on on guard like that. So that and, would have, and, well, and, and that's and, why uh, they even, added to your your statement there. That's why the high priest added. Uh, you're going to tell them this, and and when it gets back to your commanders, to your authorities, we'll cover for you. We'll make we'll lie why, too. We're holy men. We're priests, but we'll lie. We'll cover you know, the backside. And, yeah. Yeah, and and so they're they're asking these soldiers to do something that their profession or their their creed. I assume they had some kind of oath. Mm-hmm. They swore in, swore allegiance to Rome or the emperor. But yeah, you go ahead and say that you lied, and we'll cover for you. We'll lie for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd hate anybody for in any reason, whatever, to ask me to lie or compromise. And that I've had people ask me, "Well, go ahead and sign this. Just put your signature." Well, what am I signing? Well, you're just saying blah blah blah. Well, I don't really know that for mm-hmm. truth, and you're. Asking me to sign uh, acknowledging uh, this is a legal document well just go ahead and sign it anyway and what a horrible thing that the people that were asking these centurions the roman guards they were asking them to lie those were the high priests the people that that they were the quote-unquote holy men and not only that they were they were in cahoots if you will with the gentiles the 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 Romans occupying Roman forces were hated by all the people of Israel. They saw Rome, and they, they felt that the they felt the Roman oppression, the boot heel of the Roman Empire, on their chest or on their throat. And yet, these holy men were saying, "You know, we hate Jesus so much that we will back you up if you say that you fell asleep and his disciples came and stole the body. We'll go along with that. We'll tell we'll tell your bosses, your commanders, that that's what happened. We'll don't worry. We'll cover for you." Uh, so there was a conspiracy that, b- between those so-called holy men and those guards, and that just just really breaks your heart to think that the people that you know I expect people in any kind of ministry 
to have higher ethics and higher morals than people who who haven't been called to the pastorate or the ministry. Mm-hmm. And and these men obviously they were willing to because they wanted to preserve their priestly position and not acknowledge Jesus as Lord. They were willing to betray uh, their holy oath. I assume if, if you got all the way and selected up through the rabbinical system, that you were supposed to be a cut above the average man or, in that imagine. system. I really would. But, but yeah. you know, it, it, there was such an amazing mixture of motives and behaviors and responses. It's so interesting to me that's why one reason i i one of the reasons we believe the bible is god's word is that they don't sugarcoat they don't cover up uh they they the sins of 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 even the even god's people they're weak peter denying the lord and so on and and uh, uh that's one of the things that give the bible the ring of truth is that we really can't understand. We can understand these motivations. There are people who want power. There are people who want wealth and riches or influence. Uh, and, and yet, at the same time, you've got this, this fellow named Nicodemus who goes and talks to Jesus by night. And then later on, whenever they are condemning him in the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus stands up for him, you know, and says, no, you know, we, we, he's a good man. You, we, should, we should be careful about this. So it's so interesting to me to watch and to see these different individuals, each of them responding, uh, you know, there was there was one of the centurions, one of the Roman guards, a professional executioner. They went out and and, and he says, surely this was the Son of God. You know, he sees the responses, reactions of this man on the cross. And now here's a trivia that. question: If you ever saw the movie The Greatest Story Ever Told, oh yes, uh-huh. what what famous actor played the centurion? And that was his one line. He said, surely this man was the Son of God. Hang on, I think I know who it was. Uh, it was that guy. It wasn't Bacchus, Jim Bacchus. It was that um, a big fella, strong fella. What's his name? That would be a man from Iowa named Marion Michael Morrison. But uh, we knew him when he as... went to, we knew him as John Wayne, You're the Duke himself. Me. The Duke said that. The Duke was the centurion, and then, you know, you think about how big a, an actor he was, and they said, well, would you step forward and play this one role, and here's your line, and he could have said, you know, I'm John Wayne, I want to be Peter, I want to be yeah. J- Joseph, I want to be any one of these other people in the biblical story, but instead, yes, he was willing to stand there, and it was just like a cameo role, but that's his big, surely this was, this man was the son of God, and I I always thought, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of John Wayne. My brother is a dentist in, the, in Mesquite, Texas, by Dallas. Uh-huh. He's a big John Wayne fan. His office, uh, you know, if you if you own the office and it's your practice, you can decorate however you want. He's got John Wayne uh, pictures, posters, paraphernalia, all of that all over. It's like a shrine to John Wayne when you go in there to have your teeth filled. Well, it's he so was funny. quite a guy. Uh, yeah. And I, I was noticing the other day that the movie stars of that era um, – a lot of them were very patriotic. Uh, Jimmy Stewart and other, you know, they served in the military. They, uh, humbly, they went and served. You know, it, 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 a lot of them were very interesting people in that era, in that particular time. I was in California in 1988, and John, uh, Jimmy Stewart actually retired from the Air Force Reserve as a brigadier general. That's right. And there were others as well. Uh, I can't remember them off the top of my head, but that was an interesting era. Well, of course, it, an interesting era in the whole culture of America was different at that time. But uh, actors and sports figures, you know, pro, pro baseball players put down their bat and gloves and went, ran off to uh, 
sign up and serve in the, in the military. Listen, brother, I, I know it's late, and I have enjoyed your show is and can has been and continues to be a blessing to everybody that tunes in. And I'm just so grateful for you, and I'm, I praise the Lord that we have you Brad, uh, in behind that microphone broadcasting this wonderful show. I know you're trying to say goodbye to you graciously, and I appreciate those words. Would you like to have a couple of tickets to Splashtown this summer? That would be awesome. Oh, I'd yes, love sir. For maybe the grandkids or someone that you would know. Would yes, sir. Them. Yeah, they would leap at the chance. Well, don't hang up. I'm going to put you on hold here, and I uh, want you to talk to uh, uh, my friend John here. He's going to um, take down the information, and we'll get those in the mail to you, okay? Awesome. Thank uh, you, friend. I'll sure wait on that. All right. Bye-bye. Don't hang up. All no, right. sir. Okay, wait a minute. I must have hit the wrong button. Let me see if I've done the right thing here. I'm going to try to... Don't hang up on me. There you go. Now let's try that. There you go. We got him over to John, and uh, we're going to give away some free tickets to Splashtown tonight. And if you'd like to give us a call, 340-9585 is our number. Uh, Brad did answer the question. Half of it, Caiaphas, uh, was one of the two high priests that, that oversaw the trial of Jesus. And his, uh, his father-in-law, Annas, was the older man, and they both served here at this era, this is a time when the two high priests mentioned uh, Annas was the legitimate Caiaphas was named and imposed by Rome. So uh, you can give us a call if you'd like any of the questions that I've asked. If you could answer them, we'd love to hear from you. Which of the disciples of the 12, which of them asked Jesus to show them the father? Remember Moses in the Old Testament said, let me see your face. Show me. Uh, and he said, no man can see my face and live. I'll let you I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and you can see. Uh, my, you can see behind me as I move past. In other words, you can see the results of my being there, but you can't see me actually in time and space, in present tense. Uh, and so what, here's one in the New Testament that says, show us God, show us the Father. Which disciple asked him, asked Jesus to show them the Father? And then what was the name of the place where Jesus was crucified? What was the name of the place uh usually thought of to be a hill uh would you if you know the name of that let us hear from you three four zero ninety five eighty five and then why i asked this before why did john write his account of jesus life in ministry why did john write his gospel what was his motivation you can find the answer in john chapter 20 verse 31 john chapter 20 Verse 31. And what was the name of the place where Jesus was crucified? Look in John chapter 19, verse 17, if you want to answer that question. And if you can answer any of those, I'd love to hear from you. We're giving away a couple of tickets to Splashtown for our listeners these days uh, for this summer to be able to go yourself with a friend or with a family member or take the grandkids or something. Uh, make it a special time. So uh, give us a call if you'd like to answer any of those questions. Let me... Um, let me point out, and let me give you a couple of questions uh, from the earlier chapters of the Gospel of John because it gives us a chance to talk about some things as well that uh, sometimes people don't actually know. Uh, for one, we ha we're told about John the Baptizer, uh, this man who is indeed a Levite. He, his, both his mother and father are Levites. He is a legitimate member of the priesthood. But he doesn't function in the in the temple. He doesn't go and preach in the temple as his father and mother did. He he goes rogue on them. And John the Baptist is out baptizing and preaching to people out at the River Jordan. 
because he didn't want to be a part of that corruption, but that that um, corrupt and illegal, actually, uh, priesthood as it had developed to be in the time of Jesus. And so John the Baptist, uh, second cousin, evidently, to Jesus himself, what sign did God give to John the Baptist beforehand so that he would recognize the Messiah when he saw him? What sign did God give John the Baptist beforehand so that when he saw the Messiah, he would be able to recognize him? Remember now, John the Baptist is the uh, is the forerunner of the Messiah. We talked about in, in the book of Isaiah, uh, there's one who's going to come before him uh, to p- prepare the way for the Messiah. And, of course, that is uh, uh, Jesus even himself gives us the answer. This is John the Baptist. But uh, God gave John the Baptist a sign so that he would be able to recognize Jesus, uh, uh, who was the Messiah. He he would know who the Messiah is because of this sign. So if you know the answer, give me a call. It's found in John chapter 1, verse 33. John 1, 33. And it's time now to go and visit with Rich back on the line with us. Hi, Rich. I'm glad you called. Hello, Sophie. Good to hear you. Uh, I missed it. I miss Jacob being with you. Me too. Uh, He'll be back, though. Don't worry. He'll be back. Uh, I, I, I believe the place where Christ was crucified is named Mount Calvary. Yes, if you Google that, you'll find uh, originally, the I think in Greek, is Golgotha, and uh, the place of the skull, uh, Greek, Ukrainian, Latin, Calvadia, uh, which is where we got the idea of Calvadia. Uh, it, there's nowhere actually a hill. Uh, it's never where it's never actually called a hill, uh, though. If named for its shape, it may have been a hillock or a, a looking like a skull. Um, and, and just in reference to Jacob, I think Jacob is the one who first told me that uh, actually the na- the hill or the place gets its name not so much because of its appearance like a skull. But Golgotha, the place of the skull, this traditionally, historically, is the place where David buried Goliath's skull. Remember he cut off Goliath's head? Yes, I remember. And I, I remember, uh, to me, that was so fascinating. I had never known that, but that uh, Jewish tradition, Hebrew tradition says that. Uh, so what, uh, so Mount, Mount Calvary is wrong? No, Calvary is the Latin version of, of that. The Greek version is Cranian. And Golgotha means skull hill. Uh, Hebrew okay. is Golgoth. Golgotha. I never did figure out what mount means. I mean, that, that, that part got me always. Yeah, it's never really been called a hill or a mountain, but if named for its shape, that may have, it may have been a, a hillock if it was shaped like a skull, if that was the idea of it. But uh, that's, that's where we get those names, Calvary, Cranium, uh, Golgotha. Uh, they come from uh, those three, the, the Hebrew, the Greek, and the Latin names for the hill. It's found in Luke, okay. chapter, Luke chapter 23. Well, can, I send, can I get you some tickets to Splashtown for the grandkids? Uh, no, because I don't have any. Okay, uh, brother. I, and, I so appreciate uh, you calling in, Rich. I really do. I, I enjoy your program a lot. I listen every Sunday. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get Jacob back on for you. I miss him as much or more than anybody, so he'll be back on. He's just been out of town for the Passover the last two or three Sundays. Uh, I keep saying, how long are you going to stay out? And he says, I'll be back soon. So we're hoping he'll join us again. Thank you for calling in, friend. We'd love to hear from you. Well, that's our music again. I can't believe the segments are going away so fast tonight. Uh, if you'd like to give us a call yourself, it's 340-9585. We'd love to hear from you. Answer some of the questions, win some prizes, and uh, 
or maybe ask your own question about the Bible, about God, about the redemptive plan. We'd love to have you sound off and tell us a little bit about your Easter. What was Resurrection for Sunday for like for you this weekend, you and your family? God bless. Give us a call back. We'll be right back. Is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar? We are back. Thank you for joining us here for the last segment. Wow, the time has just flown by tonight. Time flies when you're having fun, or as Kermit the Frog says, "Time's fun when you're having flies." Right. So uh, you just got a few more minutes to give us a call. Twenty twenty-five minutes. We've got some questions out there you can answer from the Gospel. Of John, I've got a pretty good number of them there. What sign did God give to John the Baptist beforehand so that John would be able to recognize the Messiah? Uh, give us a call if you'd like to, 340-9585. Where did... Ah, now here's the question. <laughs> here's a good theological question for you. Where did Jesus get the supernatural power to do the miracles he did and the guidance and the understanding for the teaching of his ministry. Uh, where did Jesus get the supernatural power? There's definitely something supernatural uh, going on in his life. Where did he get that power and guidance for his teaching and his ministry? Look at John chapter 5, verse 19. You can look again at, at verse 30. Where did that power uh, come from? Now, another question that you can from the Gospel of John. There, there are seven statements in the Gospel of John that begin with the words, I am. Uh, uh, and I want you to tell me what are, just name one of the seven I am statements in John's Gospel. There are seven of them. I am, Jesus said, I am this, I am that. Oh, name one of them, all right? That's another question that you could call it, because it's one way to view and understand the Gospel of John as well, these great claims. And, and you might remember uh, that uh, Moses at the burning bush in the Old Testament, when Moses was there present before God, he said, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. And, and, and after that interchange, Moses says, well, who will I say sends me? And he says, I am this this self-existent um, one, self-existent, independent one, God, the only God, holy God, set apart. I am has sent you. Uh, and, of course, Jesus in, in John chapter 8, in his discourse, in his debate with the religious leaders there in John chapter 8, one of the great, I think, one of the really great chapters in uh, the New Testament is Jesus there debating with the, the religious leaders of that era, which we talked about where there was a lot of uh, corruption, a lot of uh, very shallow and, and misunderstanding. And he confronts them and and. The final statement is, uh, before Abraham was, he says, I am. 
and they knew exactly what he was saying. They, they resp- In fact, I'll ask you the question, how did the Pharisees respond when, when Jesus said that he lived, he existed before Abraham was born? How did the Pharisees respond? Do you remember? Look it up in John 8, verse 59. John 8, 59. How did they respond, and why did they respond that way? What did they understand that Jesus was saying? All right, in John eight fifty nine. But we have this this phrase, I am, in uh, seven times Jesus uses that phrase in the Gospel of John. I am this, I am that, I'm the other. Give me one, just one of those seven I am's, if you can remember them. 340-9585. 340-9585. That's our phone number. A lot of questions out there. Uh, let me ask you another one. What is the shir- shortest verse in the Bible. Some of you may remember that from back in your Sunday school, your vacation Bible school days. What is the shortest verse in the entire Bible? And you have to know the it's in the Gospel of John, but the chapter and the verse, all right? And uh, we'd love to hear you give us uh, quote that verse. <laughs> you should be able to quote that one. It's, uh, it is very short, actually. So give us a call, 340-9585. Which of the disciples asked Jesus to show him the Father? To show them, the disciples, the Father? That's another question. And why? what was John's motivation for writing his account of Jesus' life and ministry? For writing the Gospel of John? Why did he do it? Okay. Well, John here in the studio, our John, has gotten the question right about the uh, shortest verse. But uh, maybe, you, uh, maybe you don't know that one. I don't know. It's John. Uh, in the Gospel of John, I can't tell you where it is because that's what I'm asking you in the, in the um, question, right? So give us a call, 340-9585. And also, I'd love to hear from you about resurrection. Uh, you know, I've, I've many, many years now, I came to know the Lord uh, as my Savior, as a little orphan boy being raised in a home for homeless and, and, and uh, delinquent boys. Uh, I was raised from age 5 to 18 in a boy's ranch uh, up near Amarillo, Cal Farley's, and uh, they they took in boys from broken homes and different, the courts sent them boys at times when they were in trouble with the law and so on. And I, I was raised there with 400 hairy-legged boys, a kind of a male-dominated, testosterone-driven environment society there and a 2,500-acre ranch with irrigated pasture land. And we milked the cows, slopped the hogs, and rode the horses and did all the cowboy thing. You know, yeah, I, that's right. I was a cowboy and an Indian, and an Indian uh, both. It's, you know, right got to play both sides of the equation when you can, right? That's the thing. I was a three-time all-around champion riding bulls and broncs and so on. And I, mean, I was crazy back in that era, a little bit out of my brain, out of my mind, but it was a great time, a great uh, way to grow up in a ranch environment and so on. But that's I came to know the Lord when I was eight years old, began to follow him, a sincere, devoted, genuine and uh, follower of Jesus, loved the Lord, memorized scripture, uh, preached my first sermon at 12, began to lead other boys to Christ. And just all my life, God has been there uh, working and, and guiding. And uh, all these years, I, I, I've I've got this curious mind. I'm one of those inquiring minds. I want to know. And I've always questioned and wondered about things. How did this work? How did how did the, the Son of God, the eternal God of creation, what does that mean? How did he take on flesh? What does that mean? How did that work? Uh, and, uh, of course, I, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting that some of you are saying, well, you'll never figure that out. Uh, and, and yet we, and we may not. 
but it's really so wonderful to contemplate uh, how did God become a man. Remember, we're created in His image. It's not like it's not like a, a man becoming a rock, you know. <laughs> Although there's some people who say oh, he's as dumb as a rock, you know, or they or the we sometimes make animals of ourselves, you know. Uh, we, we kind of leave behind our humanity, our our human nature, and the goodness and things that. The best qualities that we have as humans and people, we say, well, he's a real animal. He just made an animal of himself and so on. So sometimes that can, but you can see the idea there is that we were created in, in God's image, fashioned in his image. We are free will. We have intellect, emotion. We have personhood. Uh, and so uh, for God to become a man, it's not like, you know, it's not like becoming something totally and absolutely different. He, uh, the the infinite simply uh, uh, allowed and became finite. The the invulnerable, the omnipotent, all power became weak and vulnerable. The 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 totally independent God can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, everything became dependent. In this case, the 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 eternal, the Son of God took on flesh and willingly, willingly. That's an important word. Voluntarily, uh, this is what Paul tells us, and the way we understand is. That that he left off freely left off the exercise of his divine prerogatives and initiatives as God, he took on the flesh as a, as a fertilized egg on the wall of Mary's womb. He went through all the stages of gestation and in the pregnancy, and then became a, a human baby, crying and 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 wetting diapers, and just a human being raised by uh, Joseph and Mary and, and his brothers and sisters, raising the family. And the, and the question becomes, well, what what was his existence like? Was was he like Clark Kent, in that you know, yeah, he was here and he wore the glasses and the hat and he looked like a, a kind of a bumbling, uh, um, clumsy sort of a reporter and so on. But really, underneath, he knew he was Superman. He he always had and he knew who he was. Well, that's the Superman view of Jesus, the incarnation. And it doesn't hold up because Jesus had to truly become every man in the as vulnerable. He hurt uh, when they whipped him, when they scourged him. He bled. He 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 was truly uh, he didn't know everything. There were things that people ask him. He said, I don't know. It's not given unto me to know that the father hasn't revealed that. Now, what Jesus did know was what the scriptures told. He had the scriptures, the the uh, Hebrew scriptures, the Tanakh. He knew those scriptures. Every time you squeeze Jesus, and out came the scriptures. He he knew the scriptures backward and forward. He knew uh, who the Messiah was. He knew how where the Messiah had to be born. What had to be the characteristics of the Messiah's existence in life. And he recognized that some many of those things were about, beyond human control. Um, the 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 slaughter of the innocents that Herod sought him out at age two to kill him. The their flight down into Egypt and 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 afterwards they're coming back and where they said this fulfilled the scriptures where the Bible says out of Egypt I have called my son and, and other so many other scriptures that his followers would abandon him and deny him and walk from that was all that was all. Um, predicted it and prophesied. Uh, so you think, well, he didn't just get the list of the prophecies and voluntarily do them. So many of them were beyond his comprehension, beyond his understanding. The idea that he would be, be betrayed by one of his followers, one of his friends, actually, Judas Iscariot. That was predicted in the Hebrew Scriptures. Over 300 prophecies about the Messiah. 
and they're all fulfilled in him. So Jesus came to know those things, and at least by age 12, on the testimony of his mom and dad, on on his understanding, uh, he attended synagogue, he learned the Torah, he learned Deuteronomy, he saw, he knew. I believe personally that he was just a normal human being. By faith, he understood and took on who he was, and by faith, he stepped into that role, and he um he he began to by faith just follow God and trust God to take him and and uh, and lead him and guide him uh, to carry out and fulfill the role of Messiah of Redeemer, and he knew these things because the scriptures point out so very very much. He came to understand that he was going to go and increasingly now this was a growing process. We're told that in scriptures he grew in grace and knowledge of God, in favor with God and man. Uh, he, there was a growth process. He grew in it as a human being, and, and yet he he walked through the process without sin, without doubt, and he he by faith he stayed under the yoke of trust and obedience. And we look in in um, the Gospels, we see the t- temptation of Jesus, uh, in in um, at least a couple of the Gospels. They talk about after his time of. Uh, of um, uh, baptism, and remember, one of the questions is how did how did Jesus uh, how did John the Baptist know that Jesus was uh, the Messiah? What sign did God give him so that he could recognize that John the Baptist was the Messiah? And so uh, we see that. But this story we have in two of the Gospels, I believe it's Luke, perhaps Matthew, where Jesus is tempted by Satan. Sometimes people misunderstand the tempting temptation of Jesus. And in Sunday school, a popular question, you know, the, the teacher says they read the story of the temptations of Jesus there. And then and then uh, everybody reads it and thinks about it. And the teacher says, well, my question for you is, could Jesus have sinned? And people all scratch their heads and go, well, sure. Yeah, of course, it was a temptation. He could sin. And then the teacher says, well, then he couldn't have been God because God can't sin. And you go, oh, yeah, that's right. And so then they say, well, yeah, well, then in that case, no, he couldn't have sinned. And then, then the teacher, what does the teacher say then? He says, well, then it couldn't have been a temptation because if if he couldn't have fallen, if he couldn't have tempted and sinned, then it, it wasn't a real temptation. And then we all scratch our heads and go, hmm, I don't know what was really going on there. And uh, too often we don't actually think it through and say, what was happening? What was going on? Uh, this, what, what, was it a temptation? Well, we're told it's a temptation. Well, what was the nature of the temptation? And uh, this is, gives you a great insight into the role of the Messiah and the idea of how did Jesus, how did God's son become a human in what sense? And how did he, uh, what did he do to qualify to be our redeemer, to be the mediator between God and man? And the point is, is that he came and walked out the perfect life of faith and trust and obedience, perfect submission, total dependence on the Father. And that means that none of the miracles he did, look in John chapter 5 there, where I just asked the question a while ago, verses 19 and 30, Jesus himself says a number of times in the Gospel of John, I can do nothing of myself. The Son of Man, I, 
the miracles I do, the, the preaching I preach, my words of wisdom, this insight, I do none of that by, of my own prerogative, of my own initiative, of my own authority and power as God. I don't exercise. I freely gave. He didn't cease being God, but he gave up the free exercise, the rightful exercise of his divine prerogatives and authority and power. That's what Peter, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2. And he calls us to have that same humility, that same brokenness uh, and, and uh, yielding our lives to God and to him and to Jesus as our Savior. But so so that gives you a little bit of insight into the the temptation of Jesus uh, when Satan says, you know, if you're the son of God, turn that stone into bread. Or he takes him to the peak of the temple and he says, just just jump off the temple because the Bible says that God won't even allow you to stub your toe and he'll send angels to protect you. And you jump off the temple down into the court of the Gentiles there and, and the angels will keep you from being hurt and harmed. People will see it. it it's kind of the temptation of the public, of the spectacular. You know, a lot of a lot of preachers today give in to the temptation of the spectacular. They have to, they have to be loud and brash, and they have to, you know, have healings and dramatic things and and all this. And, and they they kind of yield to the idea that, well, you know, we got to do spectacular things. Uh, and, and this one may be the temptation that that Jesus was having here. That uh, instead of trusting God and and just yielding to God and staying in the yoke of faith and dependence on the Father, do something spectacular here, and people will see you and believe in you. It's a shortcut to fulfilling the role of the Messiah. It's a shortcut. Instead of faith and dependence, you take this, the temptation of the spectacular. The, and then, of course, he says it took him to a mountaintop. And he says, look out over uh, these great kingdoms of the world, these beautiful kingdoms. And he said, I'll, I'll give them to you if you'll just bow down. It's a meaningless thing. You're, if you're God, I can't change that. You're God, you're God. But uh, no one's here to witness it. But if you just bow down and worship me, I'll, I'll give you all these kingdoms. And, and now remember that the power, the kingdoms of the world had been promised to the Messiah, to the Messiah who successfully and rightly fulfills the role that, that he has come to earth for. Uh, that The kingdoms of the earth, he says, I will make the nations, I will make the kingdoms of the world your footstool uh, to the Messiah. And so they, they were already promised to Jesus, but, but, but Satan here is offering to him these kingdoms of the world. Uh, on an easy scale, you know, eh, take away the pain, take away the suffering, take away the frustration of working with these slow to learn, stubborn disciples who don't learn and who are going to abandon you. And, and uh, don't forget all that. Just do this meaningless, easy little thing here. Uh, and uh, I'll give you uh, the, the kingdoms of the world. And so you have these temptations that Jesus is being tempted. What's he being tempted to do? In each case, he's attempted to take a shortcut of faith. And, for example, turn the stone into bread. Could Jesus have turned the stone into bread? Of course. Just not too many weeks later, not too much time later, we see him feeding 4,000 people and miraculously feeding 5,000 people. He created that rock. He had every right and he had all the power he needed to change that rock into bread. But what would have happened if he did take that temptation? What would have happened? Nothing to him. Nothing would change about him cease, cease being God in terms of his na- divine nature and so on. But he would have been eliminated from being our Redeemer, the Messiah, the, our Savior. The, he would have been redeemed, re- eliminated from being the last Adam. See, he was his role was to do what Adam failed to do. That is to stay in perfect harmony and perfect 
submission and obedience to the Father, total dependence on the Father, and that was the the, the perfect role of a of a perfect human being. And Jesus did that. He did what Adam and Eve could not do. He stayed in the yoke of of faith and obedience, and that's how he earned the right uh, to all through his life, not just at this cross, but all through his life, he obeying and trusting the Father to guide him, direct him, empower him to be the Messiah, the Redeemer, to walk out successfully. And he yielded to the plan of God. Even though it meant pain and suffering and, and, and sacrifice, he yielded to that. And he understood it by then. He knew what he had to do, and he willingly stepped into that role. No one takes my life from me, he says. I willingly give it up. Don't you know I could call 10,000 angels? And, and it's a tremendous view of, I hope as you understand that, that was what Jesus had to do live out the perfect life as a man. He didn't have this secret Clark Kent identity or Superman identity underneath his uh, toga. He he truly had to walk out the existence in the limita- under the limitations of a human being, and he did so so beautifully. And I hope as you understand that, your, your understanding, but also your admiration, your admiration your, of Jesus and what he accomplished uh, on our behalf to be able to become the Messiah, to become the firstborn now of the twiceborn. They become the first, uh, the firstborn of the new creation, the only begotten Son of God. Uh, he is now the firstborn, the first of the new race of the redeemed. And we now, because of our identification, our faith and trust in him, we too are born again. We become a new person spiritually alive and and uh, sinless, as uh, Rich and, and, and James pointed out earlier in the program, sinless because of what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. And it, it's just a, an astounding story of redemption that we read about all through the Gospels, and particularly here in the Gospel of John. He is so very clear about it. Think of all the times you can. Remember, we we read through the, the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, every year. And just think about that first prophecy back in the Garden of Eden, and you think from that point on how many times you see the enemy of our souls, Satan, and we see uh, the powers of, of wickedness, of evil, the powers that resist God and his will and God's people. Just look at how many times they try to cut off the this, the godly lineage, how many times they try to cut off the ancestry of the Messiah. Uh, even in the very first chapter, what's the first thing that happens? You have these two kids, Cain and Abel. Abel is the one who worships God as God intends with humility, and he comes with a lamb, a living sacrifice. He is the one that understands the, the, the concept of substitutionary atonement, that someone is going to come and suffer and die and bleed for on our behalf, that, that sin has a consequences. The soul that sins, it shall die. Without the shedding of blood, there is no uh, remission of sin. Abel understood that, and he brought that sacrifice to the Lord, understanding, and his re- sacrifice was received. But Cain, his brother, didn't get it and resented Abel for and kills the godly lineage. The, you know, that, in that first even generation, uh, we see Satan moving to, to destroy the lineage that, through which the Messiah would come. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, God is gracious and gives another son named Seth. 
who comes along and becomes the leader and the head of the godly uh, line of humanity as they multiply and spread and, and increase during the book of Genesis. And then it leads on down to to Noah. And just a few chapters, would, chapter 7, would down the whole human race has fallen into disobedience, and it calls forth the judgment of God on the whole race to destroy. And yet, and yet God keeps Noah and his family, eight people. Uh, another godly lineage is begun. He begins again with them. And, and things take place. He says, you know, spread out and multiply. Create people groups and language groups and diversify so that there will be a, a check and a balance on on this sinful nature that has been released into humanity. And so, But they don't do it. They don't spread out like they're told to do and commanded to do. They don't multiply. They stay together so that all the race of humanity can once again walk into sin and judgment in lockstep. You know, as, and the peer pressure is powerful in the human race. And uh, to walk into judgment. But God, he confuses their languages, remember? And he forces them to spread apart to over the land and to spread into people groups, competing uh, people groups with the sin nature at full uh, running full steam in, in the human race, then God broke us up into people groups competing. And, and so that, that, that diversifying created a, a check and a balance on the sin nature running in the human race. And that has preserved the human race. It's been a race characterized by war and violence and, and one group against another group and so on. But that sin, that diversification has really saved the race as a whole. Uh, the whole race has not walked into sin and judgment to be destroyed. Uh, now, we are slowly breaking down. Uh, that's why we see the enemy of our souls continually in the Scriptures trying to influence humanity to forget about our diver- our diversity and come together all of one. This idea of a global ra- a global government, a global power, that kind of going back to the Tower of Babel when we all walk in lockstep under one authority and so on. And that's the idea that the enemy keeps trying to recreate Babel, uh, the Babylonian Empire, this idea of, of, of uh, humanism and this humanity at the center of our attention and of our, of our priorities. So uh, it, it's, you can see, I hope, as we lay it out tonight, looking at the Gospel of John and the other Gospels, you can see the whole redemptive plan of God working through. Folks, I hope you remember the National Day of Prayer coming up on May the 4th, Thursday, May the 4th. Uh, we hope that you'll come and join us down at the, on the steps of City Hall on that Thursday, May 4th, so that we can pray together and that we can intercede with millions of Americans for our nation, for our world. We'll see you next week. God bless. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.